Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church Podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel and Evangelism sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the privilege that you've given us, Lord, to come and to, to worship tonight in your word. We pray that as we study consistently or continually on the topic of evangelism, that you would encourage us, challenge us, help us, Lord, to obey your word. I decrease, Lord, that you may increase, become less, that you can become more. Have your way tonight and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the, the seventh week in our series on the gospel and evangelism. We spent the first five weeks explaining the gospel, and in that five weeks we learned that God is holy, that he is creator of the universe, and that he is the judge. Man was created in God's image, made perfect. God gave a command to expand his glory, to worship him, to obey him. Man rebelled and disobeyed God's command, bringing death to all of humanity. We have become, therefore, depraved in our minds, our wills and desires. Because of sin, we have become separated from holy God and his wrath is upon us because of unrighteousness. But thanks be to God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully man and faced every temptation of man, yet did not sin, but perfectly obeyed the law of God. Jesus was fully God. And displayed this truth in his words and miracles and in forgiveness of sin and ultimately by rising from the dead. And Jesus died in the place of those who deserved punishment, becoming a substitute for them, taking on the punishment that they deserved. Jesus rose from the dead, finally conquering sin, death and the grave. If you repent of your sins, you will be saved. You must see that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you must turn from your sins and turn to Christ alone for salvation. You must place your faith or trust in the perfect life and sacrificial death of Christ on your behalf to be saved. You must trust that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself apart from Christ alone. If you repent and place your faith in Christ, you will be saved. This is the gospel that we've learned. I've said this now for seven weeks. Right. We, we've had this growing understanding of the gospel. This is the probably the fourth time, third or fourth time that you've heard that. I'm going to continue to say that because the more you hear it, the more you will understand it, the more you'll memorize it, the more it'll be easier for you to have that roll off of your lips when it's time for you to share the gospel. So the more you hear it, the easier it is for you to share it. I would even encourage you. To go home and download this, which is available online. Those of you who keep asking me, can you email that to me? It's online. I would download it and just start studying it. Maybe memorizing it. Maybe going through certain parts and, and trying to understand for yourself why that part is what it is. Amen? So that is the gospel. That is what we learned the, five, the first five weeks. And then last week, we <clears throat> asked the question, in light of what we just heard... What must we do now? 
The answer to that obvious question was, do as the Bible commands us. And the Bible commands us to do evangelism. We learn that we are motivated by three <coughs> factors to evangelism. There are three motivations that should propel us into evangelism. They were, number one, obedience to the command of Christ. We evangelize because Christ commands it. Amen. We do evangelism because it's what Christ has commanded. Matthew, thank you, brother. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christ then delegates his authority to his church. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe all or actually obey is probably better. All that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We learn, secondly, that our motivation for evangelism is love for people, right? We see many examples of Christ extending love to people that have been rejected by society. From the Pharisee Nicodemus to the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus calls his disciples to have a genuine love for others. One that causes them to lift up their eyes and see that the harvest is ripe and ready. And that it is calling us to go to share the gospel. We must be motivated by love for people and by a desire to see many come to faith in Christ. And finally, we learned that we are motivated by love for God. If we love God, we will have a desire to see God glorified. God will be glorified when people worship him and obey him. And the only way that's going to happen is if we take upon the task, if we obey the task of Going and sharing the gospel. The Bible says, how will they how will they hear unless someone is sent? It is our responsibility to go and share the gospel. God bless you. And it is God's responsibility to open the hearts and open the eyes of blind people. In that process, God is glorified and I shouldn't have to ask because I know we all will say we want God to be glorified. And if you want God to be glorified and if you love God, then the way that you best express that is through evangelism, is through gospeling, sharing the gospel. So taking what we've learned so far, I pray that you have been encouraged, inspired and challenged to share the gospel with unbelievers. And as we move forward in our understanding of evangelism, I would like to tonight share with you what evangelism is not. Last week we shared why evangelism, right? Well, because God God commands it, so we obey. Because we are to have a genuine love for people. That's what happens when you are filled with His Spirit. And because you love God and want to see God glorified... You take the gospel to the nations. Now, when we do that, there are sometimes foggy or hazy understandings of what evangelism is when we go out and share the gospel. So tonight, I would like to share with you really my experience of evangelism from a young boy until what I've experienced to to this very day. 
Many of much of what I saw as a young boy uh, influenced how I viewed evangelism as I grew up. And much of what I'm reading in scripture and reading from biblical authors now is helping to curve or erase some of those bad understandings of evangelism as I grew up. You may be like me, and some of you actually may have been there when I was a boy. I can remember being in different parks from time to time as a young boy. There were in these parks many people. Many of them were from our church. Many of them were not from our church. In these parks, there were there was music being played on loudspeakers. There was a live band in these parks. There was face painting. There were games for kids. There was food being given away, usually hot dogs. That's the, the go to meal. There were people usually praying for others. And then there would be a main speaker who would come up. And they would talk about their life. They would talk about the tough time they had in their life. And people would, at some point, as I could vividly or vaguely remember as a boy, at some point they would all kind of raise their hand at some point. And then after that, they would pray and people would begin to disperse and we would clean up and we would go home. They called that an outreach. Have you ever been involved in an outreach? Some of you have been involved in so many outreaches that you believe that's how they did evangelism in the Bible. They just had an outreach. Outreaches, and, and let me be very, very careful before I begin. I am in no way, shape, or form attempting to knock outreaches. I am in no way, shape, or form trying to degrade outreaches. I'm just giving you a perspective that I've seen all my life. And we're going to glean some things that we can learn from some of the things that I've experienced and maybe some of the things that you've, you've seen in outreaches. But the purpose of those outreaches was to get people out of their homes so that they could share the gospel with them. The method used to get them out of their home was to offer them free stuff. And who doesn't like free stuff? Free food, free games and prizes, free music, etc. Now, again... I want to let you know I'm not trying to knock outreaches. As a matter of fact, I, I applaud their efforts. Many of them, they go to great lengths to do what they do for the purpose of, hopefully the purpose of, reaching people for the gospel. Tonight, I just want to draw out some examples from those experiences. And from that, we are going to talk about what the gospel is not. The first thing that I'd like to share with you doesn't necessarily come from what I experienced in outreaches. It just comes from what I've experienced in talking to people about evangelism. Number one, what evangelism is not. OK, evangelism is not imposition. What do I mean by imposition, what I mean by imposition is one of the most common objections to evangelism is I don't want to impose my beliefs on anyone. I don't want to bother people. Many believe that they are somehow violating humanity if they walk up to a complete stranger and ask them if it would be OK to share the gospel with them. They don't want to, they say, impose their beliefs on anyone. You must understand that the message of the Bible, the gospel, is not a matter of your opinion. 
It's a matter of fact. So that when you walk up to a complete stranger, you're not imposing anything on them. You're sharing with them life. There are so many times where I've been in the marketplace and I've asked myself, do I really want to bother these people? And the answer is usually yes. Those who have walked with me in the marketplace will know I'm notorious for just walking up to you and sharing the gospel. Because I'm not walking up to you with a number of my opinions that I'm trying to impose upon you. I'm walking up to you with the truth of the word of God. Hoping that you will turn and have life. You cannot impose realities on people. Meaning this, you cannot impose on me the fact that I'm standing in this room. It's a reality. It's not a matter of perspective. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. Also, the fact of the gospel is not something that you can come up with on your own. The gospel is not something that is uniquely true just to you. So when you evangelize, you are not saying to someone, well, let me sit down with you. I'd like to share with you what I think about God. No, you are sitting down with someone and you are sharing with them infallible truths of God's word, his holy word, his perfect word. Therefore, when you sit with them, you should not be intimidated. When you sit with them, you should not be ashamed. When you sit with them, you should not feel as if you are imposing. Rather, you are hopefully being used by God to pull back a veil so that they can see truth. They are. <clears throat> these truths are his truth. And we are telling his truth. The gospel. Imposition would be forcing someone to believe something that they really have no, no say so over. That's imposition. You are not doing that. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is you and I have no control over how that person will respond to the gospel. Amen. All you have control over is sharing the gospel. You share the glorious truths and God is sovereignly over how they respond. Amen. Sovereignly in control of how they respond. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What then is Apollos? <clears throat> what is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The Bible presents the human problem as one that can never be solved by coercion or by imposition. The fruit of evangelism comes only from God. So you are never imposing. Amen. Our responsibility there, therefore, is to... Clearly present the gospel to faithfully present the gospel to live a life of love toward unbelievers and pray that God will convict them of their sin and give them the gift of faith and repentance to believe. This is our lifelong mission, brothers and sisters. If you're looking for something to get involved in, which we're going to talk about in a moment, this is your mission that you've been assigned and it's a mission that you are supposed to be on every single day. So remember, 
When you're sharing the gospel, you're not imposing on anyone. You may be bothering them, but you're not necessarily imposing on them. You may very well be the one that God has chosen to use to bring the message of the gospel that, will use, that he will use to bring life to their dead souls. And think about the glorious, wonderful truth in that. That God could use you to be involved in bringing life to someone who was walking in darkness. When you have that perspective, you're never imposing. Evangelism is never then in position. We are only freely presenting the gospel and we can never manipulate anyone into believing this glorious truth. It all is in the hands of our great and sovereign God. Number two, evangelism then is not personal testimony. As a young child and into my teen years, early years, I, I remember even as a believer I can remember hearing incredible stories of men and women who had been rescued from lives of extreme abuse and violence. My own dad, for example, was a heroin addict for years. And every time I would hear him minister in the prison, he would speak often about how God had rescued him from drugs. And there were so many people as he ministered who could relate to that testimony. There were stories that I could hear. I could think of even now as I'm speaking, that were so grand. They were spent, so much time was spent speaking about how they used to be in street gangs and how there was so much violence involved and how no one ever came to their neighborhood to tell them that Jesus loved them. And their near-death experiences. And I can remember thinking as I heard these different wild stories Much of what I heard later was all made up from different people. But anyways, I began thinking I should begin to add things to my own testimony so that my testimony can appear more powerful. Maybe I should say I I used to run with gangs and uh, that scar on my hand is from almost getting shot. I can also remember being taken to the prison by our very own Elder John here, Pastor John. And he would introduce me as a young man who never went through anything. And I can remember sitting there uh, shrinking as he began to speak about in front of all of these inmates, how I was a clean cut kid, that I grew up in church and that I never crossed any boundaries. And I began sitting there thinking, wow, I'm perfect. I didn't know (laughs) how great I was. So I began to ask myself and thank God for John during those introductions. What was it that brought me to faith? If I'm so great, then what was what was it? Why am I even here? And I began to recognize it was because I was a sinner. It was because I realized that I didn't have the story of all those other people. But on the night that I was in a car accident. I knew because I was raised with understanding of right and wrong, because the knowledge of God was written on my heart. I knew that if I had died that night, I would have went to hell, not because I was a gang member, not because I was a drug addict, not because I was uh, anything other than a sinner in need of a savior. 
And that was a turning point in my life. That I began to not try to build up a story that did not exist. But I began to find reasonable truths in Scripture of why we were all in need of a Savior. Some believe that telling a personal testimony is evangelism. Let me say that a personal testimony of how you're rescued from sin is a wonderful thing and praise God for them. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 16, come, listen, all you who fear God, let me tell you of what he has done for me. First Corinthians 1, 5, in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge because of the testimony of Christ because uh, the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. We should testify about what God has done in our lives. We should delight in God and share our delight verbally with others. And testimonies contribute to evangelism. We saw in John 9, the testimony of the man that was born blind. He said, when asked amongst all of the elders of Israel, uh, all of the Pharisees, in John 9, 25, whether Jesus was a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. In the presence of the elders of Israel, this man speaks boldly about the power of God in his life. And it was wonderful. It was powerful. But it was not evangelism. Why? Why? Because there was no gospel there. Think about that. It just in the blind man's testimony. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's all I know. I was blind, but now I see. Do you see gospel in that? No. You see someone being rescued, but there is no pointing to who the rescuer is. Because this man doesn't even know if he's a sinner or not. But the gospel recognizes that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and did not sin in any way. Amen. And he did so for you. When we are sharing our testimonies, we must understand that there is there is help for evangelism, but they are not evangelism. There is no clear presentation oftentimes when it comes to evangelism. We could ask many of you to come up right now, share your testimony, and they would be filled with things that we would all praise God for. But many of them would lack one important thing. The gospel, the clear gospel. Now, certainly a testimony of what we know God has done in our lives may include good news, but it may also not include the good news. Amen. It may include good news, but it may also not include the good news. So therefore, is testimony reliable? No, the gospel is reliable. We have told of how we are no longer addicted to the vices that we were once addicted to. But we may leave out the result that the result of of our addiction or the reason for our addiction was because of the fall of Adam. And that his sin spread to all humanity and humanity died because of his sin. I believe that that's a point that we cannot fail to acknowledge. 
We, we may tell people of how we have seen God change our lives, but we may fail to mention his atoning work on the cross and his conquering of sin, death and the grave in the resurrection. And I think that those are points that cannot be ignored. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us be careful not to confuse our testimony for the gospel. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. Not your once I was a dope addict, but Jesus set me free. Amen. Praise God for that. But the gospel is the good news and our lives are the work of God. And that good news. Number three. The gospel is not social work. The gospel is not social work. This applies to me more than I would like to acknowledge. I, I don't think I've, I don't share this, don't need to, but uh, my education is in sociology. One of my favorite subjects as a sociologist was social movements. Some of my, my heroes in college that I, I still respect today, they're not heroes anymore, but I respect them, uh, were those who were a voice for oppressed people. I, I, I adored those kind of people. People like Malcolm X and Joseph Rizal and Zapata and, and Gandhi Chavez, Marcus of Chiapas, uh, just to name a few. But going into evangelism, especially in my 20s, I had the wrong idea of evangelism. When I was evangelizing, I had the, the idea that I was going to begin and be the leader of a Christian revolution. By getting people out of poverty, getting them jobs, and getting them into church. That was my goal. That's who I thought I was. I thought I was some kind of neo-Christian revolutionary. We would gather in hotels on Union Avenue. Remember that, Mom? We would go from room to room asking people if they needed food and clothes. We would sit with them and hear about their financial situations and how their landlords are, are basically the oppressors. And I was determined to change the living conditions of those people. And I believe that the solutions was in getting them financially stable enough so that they could get to church. So I was more interested in getting the economics and the politics correct before I was even thinking about their standing with God. Getting that right. Man, I was wrong. Being involved in mercy ministries may help to commend the gospel, which is why Jesus taught, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Displaying God's compassion and kindness by actions is a good and appropriate thing for us as believers to do, but it's not evangelism, and it's not the gospel. Do you hear me? Me giving a hot plate of food to someone and saying, God bless you, is not the gospel. Me giving someone a pair of gloves, a, a beanie, and a blanket and saying, God bless you, and walking away is not the gospel. They are warm for the night, but they will be burning in hell for eternity without the gospel. So which is more important? The blanket that will shred and fade or the soul that will live forever? This was my, my misunderstanding as a young believer. My mother is involved in helping homeless women right now. And she asked me just a few weeks ago, should we call this a ministry 
and involve and, in, and include sharing the gospel? My response to her was this. It depends on whether you think these women only need a shower, toiletries and food. See what I left out? The gospel. Her response was appropriate. This will be called a ministry then. Because giving someone a shower is not enough. Giving someone toiletries is not enough. Giving someone food, and we do this in this place, is not enough. If we spend more time feeding, clothing, and wiping faces than we do sharing, discipling, and opening up the scriptures, then there's an imbalance there. And it's one that is not God-honoring. Amen. Social works, feeding, clothing, dental work, haircuts, health care, pediatric care and the like. They're all great. Glory to God for them. But they're not evangelism and they're not the gospel. And I'm for these things. I believe in these things. What I'm trying to get us to see is that they are not. They commend the gospel. They are not the gospel. They assist In helping to bring people out. But they are not the message that saves. Is the message that saves? Oh, uh, young lady, you have five cavities. We'll take care of it for free. The message that saves is that you are a dead sinner in need of a savior. And glory be to God that Christ has come and died in your place. And if you place your faith in him. Let me try that again. Died in the place of those who placed their faith in him. Then you will be saved if you repent of your sins and turn to Christ alone. Now, that's something that saves. How do they show holiness? How do they show sinfulness of men? How do they show life, death and resurrection of Christ? Repentance, faith, the cost of discipleship. They don't. They commend the gospel, but they, again, are not the gospel. When I began evangelism, I had a big problem. I let my eyes fall from God to humanity. Now, listen to me when I say this. And the problem of sin was ignored because I focused on the injustices of society. And that's never ending. That's never ending, if, if, especially the, the background in education that I have concerning looking for injustices. They're everywhere, not just in the street. They are just as much in the White House as they are in the crack house. I'm starting to talk like how I used to talk. Let me slow down. <laughs> and I focus on the problems uh, on Earth rather than understanding that our first problem is with God. That we are enemies of God, that there is enmity between us and God because of our sin. That is man's chief problem. And the answer to that is Christ and Christ alone. So go to the parks, go to the the ghettos, go to the marketplaces, go to the white places, the white houses. Carefully, I was at the white houses. But go with the same message. Repentance and faith in Christ alone. If we're going trying to chase or change social ills, then you're chasing something that will never be caught. Because as long as man exists, 
that will exist. But there is one thing that can overpower that. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Evangelism is not declaring God's political plan for the nations. Nor is evangelism recruiting for the church. That's another failure uh, that I've seen in the church. That we go out. When numbers start to get low in the church, then the church starts to go out to get more numbers. Which is why I'm excited about four members. Because these four members have been in this church now for the past six months. They're committed to the local church. They will be here. And we're not recruiting for numbers. We're recruiting to make disciples. Remember, brothers and sisters, as we go out and see more and more needs in the city, the greatest and the most dire need for men and women is to hear the gospel, repent and place their faith in Christ alone. If we spend, again, more time doing the social activism than we do sharing the gospel, there's an imbalance there that is not pleasing to God. Amen. Amen. Number four. Evangelism is not apologetics. Evangelism is not apologetics. Apologetics comes from the word apologia, apologia, which means to make a defense or to give an answer to. I made mention of this last week. Apologetics is not evangelism and apologetics is not the gospel. I can remember preparing to go out for evangelism and here's how I did it. I would make Myself, I would build myself up uh, as if I was some kind of Christian Rambo, preparing to slay any worldview that conflicted with Christianity. I loaded my M16 with every argument that I can think of, and I walked the streets hoping someone would try me or make my day. Make a wrong move, and I will blow you away. Did that run? First Peter 315 instructs, we are instructed by Peter to be ready to give an answer or a reason for the hope that we have. And that's exactly what apologetics does. It answers the questions and objections that people may have about God, Christ, the Bible, the message, even of the gospel. Apologetics argues for the truth of Christianity. It argues for the truth of Christianity. They argue that Christianity better explains the, the sense of belonging that people seem to have. That it better explains human rationale, that it, it fits people's moral sense, that it helps people cope with alienation, anxiety, and even death. And these are great conversations to have with people. They are intriguing. They're passionate. They're, they're often intellectual. But they're not evangelism. I've had many fun uh, conversations like this. I can remember being with my, my brother downtown. Just off of Chester, we were in an, a, a parking lot talking to a skater who was an agnostic. And we had a passionate, what would you say, Isaiah, hour debate back and forth, back and forth. Just a battle of wits, a battle of intellect. And what came of that? Nothing. Was the gospel ever shared in that one hour exchange of, of minds? Nope. Not that I can remember. Only thing I can remember is I felt like I got the better of it. And I felt good about myself. 
What a shame. What a shame. Apologetics can be wonderful. And it can present wonderful opportunities for evangelism. Being willing to engage in these conversations about where we come from, what's wrong with this world, can be a significant way to introduce honest discussions about the gospel. We can raise questions with unbelievers about the purpose of life, afterlife, the identity of Christ, and they can easily, again, lead into evangelism. As a matter of fact, these are some of the most enjoyable conversations that I love to have. But at the end of the day, it's not the gospel. At the end of the day, it's not the gospel. And as a matter of fact, many times that you share the gospel, they may turn into an, an apologetic discussion. You ever had that where you're sharing the gospel and, it, and what, was, what began as the gospel turns into, yeah, well, I don't trust that Bible. Then you have to start to defend defend the Bible. Or I don't trust the existence of Christ. Then you start to defend the existence of Christ. Sometimes they go there. Mark Dever says, apologetics is about following the agenda that others set. They ask a question, then you follow them there and you try to defend it. But evangelism is about following the agenda that is set by Christ. It is the positive act of telling the good news of Jesus Christ. I like that idea. Evangelism, you chase them wherever they want to go. You're, you're almost as a, as a Mike Tyson who is chasing the person around the ring. Whatever they got, you're, giving, you're trying to defend. Or maybe you're the opposite. You're Floyd Mayweather who just goes back and fights backward and doesn't really want to fight but has to. For you Floyd Mayweather fans. I was told, don't use sports analogies. Nobody knows about them. Well... Uh, Floyd Mayweather is a, a, a fighter who, he's a chicken. He likes to just stay back, and he'll pop you if he has to. That's the only way he stayed undefeated, by running. Um, we must beware not to confuse a debate for evangelism. A debate is not evangelism. I'm sure that there are many other examples of the gospel, of things that are not the gospel. But these are are the most common that I've come across. That we feel sometimes that we're imposing and we're not. It's the truth. How could you impose when you're trying to give life to someone? We feel that that when we share our testimonies that we did some evangelism. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The gospel is one thing. Your testimony is another. Amen. We feel sometimes that when we are... Doing some kind of social good. That's evangelism. And not necessarily. It's a good work. But did anybody hear the gospel? And then we feel sometimes that because we defended our faith. That we did evangelism. And not necessarily. I think I, the last time I had some kind of at least intense interaction was when I was sitting with Brother Arnold. And we were in the marketplace. And I was defending doing apologetics against two Muslims. And I thought I did well, thought defended well. But I can't remember if the gospel was shared there. And if it was, it was greatly rejected. And it immediately went into apologetics. We must be careful to bring it back around to the gospel. Keep it focused. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night and this time. We pray that you are glorified. We pray your people are edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.